I was going to say let's thank Matt and Ben for playing for us, but you guys did, so thank you. It was funny when Tyler said, um, can the band come up? I'm like, you mean those two? <laughs> those two guys? So um, thank you so much for playing for us today. So uh, we're going to be finishing up Philippians this morning, and uh, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be there today, and uh, the plan for me today is I'm going to finish the book, but also going to talk a lot about our uh, mission trip to the UAE that my family took over the Thanksgiving holiday, so we'll cover that more towards the end, but we're going to get into Philippians first. So it's been uh, 14 weeks in the book of Philippians, and so just a quick, I know you guys are, um, you guys get out of school Wednesday, Friday, somewhere around there for holidays. I know for most of you, you're already like on vacation. It's obvious. I just want to let you know it's obvious that you're on vacation already. You walk in here and you're just like, you look different. I'm not going to say what looks different, but you just look different. Just take my word for it. So um, just a quick review. Uh, Who wrote Philippians? This is to kind of wake you up. Okay, Paul wrote Philippians. Good. All right, so where was he when he wrote it? What city was he in? He was in Rome. And what was his situation? He was in prison. Was he in like, like a real deal prison cell with bars, or was he like maybe under house arrest? Under house arrest. I don't know how you got that one. That was so good. Uh, he, was, he was literally like chained. Like today you might house arrest or some kind of a situation. Might be like you wear an ankle bracelet. He had to wear a Roman guard. That's what he had to wear. So he had to, uh, somebody's chained to him um, all the time. I'm sure guys took shifts on that deal. So um, who took, this is a harder question, who took the letter from Paul to the Philippians? No, Epaphroditus. Did you look in your Bible for that one? Did you like, oh, wow, that's, a, that's impressive. That's very impressive. She is not on vacation yet. She is not on vacation yet. All right, so here's another question. This is, I'll answer this as I say it, but here's why Paul wrote this letter. He wrote the letter uh, mainly to encourage the Philippians. They're undergoing some persecution. They're becoming discouraged in their faith. And they're also really worried about Paul because he's in, under house arrest in Rome. So they're worried, they're concerned for him. So really this letter is an encouragement to them. So here you have the guy who's suffering in, under house arrest. He's the one encouraging the people in Philippi. And so it's pretty amazing that he can do this considering his own circumstances. So some big themes of Philippians we've seen have been joy. That's a huge theme throughout the book of Philippians. Paul finding joy and contentment in his circumstances. Also, we've talked a lot about gospel-centered friendship. You see this strong affection that Paul has for the Philippians that they have for him. We'll cover more of that again today. And also, of course, encouragement is a big theme of the book. And I know we throw the word encourage around a lot. We may use the word, but don't really understand what it really means. But do you know that to encourage someone literally means to give someone courage? I know this might sound obvious, but you don't think of encouragement, I think, probably in that way. I think most of you think of it as like, they just, yeah, they complimented me. Thanks. But you don't think of encouragement as giving someone courage. That's what it is. And this is what Paul's doing for the Philippians. This is what the Philippians needed. And I think it's also what 
many of you need. You need courage. And so when someone encourages you, it's their way of, um, it's God's way of giving you courage to fight the good fight, to walk in the truth. So I'm going to teach the passage, but we're also going to tie it into our trip uh, to the UAE a few weeks ago. So look at, I want to look, I want to go back first though to a verse that that Rebecca Cagle looked at last week, Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The most misquoted verse in probably the entire Bible. And uh, if you don't understand the context of the verse, and I think she did a great job. I love how she taught differently last week to kind of show you how to study the Bible, not just like, here's what we think. And uh, so this is one of the most misquoted texts in all the Bible. And it's often, as she mentioned, it's often adopted for athletic events. That's one of the main ways it's used. And in other places, Paul does compare the Christian life to a race. So it's not a real far leap to make on that. But this verse in particular was not written to be inspiration for weightlifters. That's not what it was meant to do. Uh, A few years ago, I was at a Fields of Faith event at CTCS. And there were a bunch of Baylor athletes they brought in to talk to the students. And it was really funny because they were all sharing their testimony. And they're up on this little stage deal in front of the whole student body. And one of the students asked a question. They said, what's your favorite verse? And the first person with the microphone, she seemed kind of like, uh, um, uh, Philippians 4.13. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Pass the mic to the next person. Next person looks at her and goes, not to copy, but um, that's the same verse that I was going to choose. And so they said the exact same verse. There was like six of them. Every single person said the exact same verse, which made me ask, is that the only verse that you guys know? Right? And so we often link this verse with athletics for whatever reason. And this is not what it's about. Paul is talking about not being strengthened for some accomplishment. He's talking about being strengthened for contentment in his circumstances. So it's not strength to pull off some big feat. It's strength to be content in your circumstances where Paul was trying to communicate that to the Philippians. And here's why this matters, because we can't, we can't take verses out of context. You do know that, right? You can't just pull out a verse. You do know that when the Bible was written... It didn't have, like, chapter numbers and verse numbers, right? You do know that? That's, like, I was added later to be able to find stuff. It's not as if Paul, like, wrote chapters 1 through 3, and he was kind of stumped and was like, man, i got to think of a good chapter 4 for my book, Philippians. That's not how it worked. It was added later to, to figure out, like, how to find stuff. So we tend to pull out one line from a text like this and just slap it onto our life and think we know what it means, and you can't pull things out of context like that. Imagine this. If, imagine if I told you I received a letter from someone, and you said, well, what did it say? And I pulled out a three-page letter, and I picked out one line, and I read that one line to you. Would you understand that one line if it wasn't read in the full context of the letter? No, you'd be like, read me the whole thing. Let me see what, what the person said. But this is how we treat Scripture. We treat Scripture like that. We pull out one little verse, and we slap it onto our life, and we think we know what it means. 
and very often we're misapplying it and pulling it out of, out of context. So we cannot do this with the Bible. And I loved how Rebecca handled that last week in showing you how to study the text and look at it in its context. So I wanted to start there uh, because we often make this verse all about the individual, don't we? We often make this verse about me and Jesus, and I can do all things through him, Jesus, who strengthens me, and it's all about me and I. But I want you to look at the next verse in verse 14. Just watch this. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you might just look at, look at that and think, okay, no big deal, just a transition. But I want you to see this, because in verse 13 it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And in the next verse he says this statement, yet it was kind of you, the Philippians, to share my trouble. So God is giving him strength, yes. God is giving him strength for contentment. But one of the, one of the main ways that God strengthens us is through community and through relationship. So it's not just about him and Jesus, but it's about the Philippians extending care and compassion to him through the letters and through the gifts. And Paul giving it back to them through his letter to the Philippians. And he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Because God's placed the Philippians in his life for a reason. And one of the ways God brings about the strength for contentment is through relationship and through community. One of the primary, the primary way that God's going to work in your life is through those kinds of relationships. Of course you need the personal time with God. Of course we need that. But it should be sending you back into community with a a gospel-filled perspective. You understand that? It's not about just you and Jesus and that's it. It's about you and Jesus, of course, but also about you and the rest of the body of Christ. And we see this come out even in the text here, just in some of the simple words that Paul's writing here. So Paul is content, but he still needs the church. These Philippians were burdened for him. I think this is what we've seen throughout this letter is there's this burden, this deep burden the Philippians feel for Paul and that Paul feels for them. And it's a burden, I think, that many of us lack for each other. I'm not sure I would describe the condition in the church today, especially among some of us here that we had this real deep burden and passion for each other. I'm not sure that always exists in the body of Christ, especially in the demographic that we're in in this room. And so I think what we see with Paul is that there is this deep burden that leads to this affection. You're going to see it play out as we go through the text here. Um, so here's a way in which the Philippians shared in Paul's troubles. Look at verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So Paul is saying, when I first began this mission trip where Paul's traveling around, only this one church, the Philippians, were the only ones willing to step up, stick their necks out, and support him financially. So they, in Paul's mind, this Philippian church... They are on an island all by themselves. They are in this 
position of encouragement and provision for him that no one else has helped him in. This is why they're so special to Paul. They're the only ones to support him. For the gospel to go to the nations, I don't think we realize how much people, churches need to send not just their people, but also their money. I know we talked about this a lot at TBC. It was true back then. It's also true now. How many of you all have grown up at TBC? Raise your hand. You've grown up in this church. Raise your hand. Surprisingly, not that many of you. You've, maybe you, some of you came later on. But I don't think you realize how unique it is that, and how we treat global outreach here at this church. Uh, my home church was a fairly small church. But when I think of missions at my home church... I don't recall ever meeting like a missionary who came back that we were supporting. Um, we took up a, a, an offering once a year for missions. It just kind of was like money thing we put in the plate and they, it'd go on. And we hear very little about missions at my home church. We never did a mission trip until my youth pastor came to the church and planned one. And a mission trip was something that the youth did about every year. It was, a, it was something that the youth did. Oh, you guys are cute. You're going to raise money for your mission trip and go overseas or go do something and then come back and tell us how it went. I don't recall ever hearing an adult or someone else in the church saying, we're going to go and we're going to be with these people and support these people. I don't ever recall seeing that when I was in high school. Then I go to college and the church I was at in college, it was the same thing. I don't ever recall hearing from a missionary coming back to the church and reporting like how things are going wherever they're at. The mission trip was done by the youth group once again. And beyond that, it was, that was pretty much it. I come here to TBC, and the first thing I hear in one of my interviews was, yeah, we give 20% of our money to missions. I was like, wait, 20%? Like, what? That means like every dollar someone turns into TBC, 20 cents of that dollar goes to support missions. We don't spend it on buildings. We don't spend it on ourselves. We don't spend it on salaries. It goes to support missions. That's pretty astounding. It's the way that the church tithes to missions to the rest of the world. And God's been graciously blessing, I think, this body for, for its generosity because we were able to support Tons of missionaries. You go to the main building, you see on, there used to be a wall up there. They took it out because they had to remodel stuff. But there are just faces from all over the globe of people that go and support. And there's people that come back here and stay here for a year and then they go back. And there's always this coming and going. And tons and tons of adults and families go on these trips throughout the year and supporting these people. And so when I first came here, I'd never seen anything like it. I'd never seen anything like that. I don't think we realize how vital our giving is for global outreach. I can tell you when we go over and see the brewers over in the UAE, and as my wife is making coffee, because I don't know how to make coffee, I really don't. She's great at making coffee, so she's making the coffee, and everything that we're, like, eating in their house, I'm reminded that, you know, like, this family is here in the UAE, for one reason, because TBC has sent them over here, and many families in this church are supporting this family to be here. 
And you don't realize how, until you're in that moment, and you're eating their food and drinking their coffee, and you realize everything I'm putting in my body right now is being provided from people at this church giving to this family. If we weren't giving to them in that way, they could not be over here doing what they're doing. You get a real concrete, tangible sense in which that's true, that this family probably thinks a lot of TBC much in the same way that Paul thought of the Philippians. They were the only ones to step up and give to him financially and put their neck out there in sacrificial giving to him as he was in Rome. And I think we don't fully appreciate this until you, you go and you see someone that's getting that kind of provision from a church from over here in the States. Look down at verse 16. It says, Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus. So, Marion, you got that right. The gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So when Paul says, he says, not that I seek the gift. It's not that I'm just trying to shake you all down for some money and some finances. He says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What what does he mean by that? What he means is all of his need for money is gospel-driven. Paul's need is gospel-driven. He he is seeking the fruit that does require some finances, but it's gospel-driven. So his need is gospel-driven. It's not like some of these ridiculous GoFundMe accounts that you see pop up on social media, and some of them truly are ridiculous, right? People raise the money for all kinds of selfish things. This is not Paul's need. His his need is not selfish. He says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So when they give, it is kind of like an investment. They're giving, but they're going to get the blessing as they give towards Paul's need. The same thing happens whenever you and I give. We get to partake in the benefits. Some of you that are going to join us over there today in the Creekside building. You've given gifts. You're going to go give your time today in serving these families. You will be blessed by it. You will get the blessing as you have brought the blessing and sacrifice to these families. And then in verse 18, or if you look down, it refers to this fragrant offering. And what's he talking about when he says this, a pleasing aroma? This is in reference to the incense that was burned in the temple back in the Old Testament. And it's like this literal image of when someone gives in this way, sacrificially, it's like a fragrant offering, an incense offering that comes up to God, and it is beautiful to him. When God's saints give in this way, this is the reaction that God has to it. Look down at verse uh, 21. He says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
And so these are the last words of the book of Philippians. But I want you to get this. Even these last verses, these last three verses are really significant. We see this, we've seen it throughout the book. There is this warmth and affection between Paul and the Philippians. And I've said before, I don't think we fully see it. If you, if you look at just the words that Paul uses, I don't think we fully see that kind of warmth and affection in many churches today. I had this friend that I've been talking to a little bit the last few weeks, and he just goes by the name Jay. And he's about my age, and he's, I'm not sure if he's a believer or not. I'm not sure about that. But he told me that he did come and visit our church one time. Actually, he came twice. He said, yeah, I came a few years ago to your church. And I was like, oh, so what, you know, he knows I work here. And he's like, honestly, I didn't really, I wasn't feeling the vibe. And I said, so what's the deal? And he's like, well, I walked into the service. No one said a word to me. And I walked out. And I came back the next week, and no one said a word to me. And I walked out, and it's like no one even acknowledged my presence that I was even there. And I just, like, I hear stuff like that, and that breaks my heart. And I know that it could be, there's a lot of people up there, and it's just, you come in, nobody knows who's new and who's not. No one has any idea that he's even a new guy. But this is why this warmth and affection in the body of Christ is so important. Because you don't know who is coming in here or up there. It is so important that we get outside of our shell and acknowledge people, acknowledge their existence, and show the kind of warmth and affection that Paul showed the Philippians and that they showed back to him. The church gathering should be the most affectionate, friendly places. But as many of you know, it's often a very cold place. It's often a very, just kind of a dead place. And relationally cold. And we don't see that with Paul and the Philippians. I think if we take some, just some simple applications from this whole book, it would be this. It would be, if you don't know someone, get to know them. Reach out to people. I, I get so, like... There's a Sunday where it's going to happen. I'm going to, like, run through and just smack everyone's cell phones out of their hand, right? And Dave's going to go postal on the cell phones. And, uh, but so many times where it's not just you, it's adults, it's everybody, but we're all doing it. And it's like you just ignore everybody until your real friends get here. And there's really no effort to talk to any person outside of your current circle of friends. Someone new comes in, you know, I don't know who they are. What's the point? Person sitting by themselves, I got my people. And so there needs to be this, this warmth and affection. The church, the body of Christ should be the most affectionate, warm place in the world. But so often it's, it's just not. It's just not. A few years ago, there was a, um, I was sitting up in the, in the early service, the 815 service, which is like, did you guys know we have an 815 service? We have an 815 service. You're like, I, I'm, a, I'm asleep then. I don't know about these things. And I go to it so I can make everything else happen on Sunday. 
And it's, it's obviously a sparse service, but there's this guy sitting like two seats over for a few Sundays. We start talking, and he's a military guy. His name's Julio. And then we start talking, and I just said, hey, man, like, are you involved in a small group? He's like, no. And I thought, man, what are the chances this guy, this guy's a single guy. He's not going to come to our small group. We're a bunch of families with kids and stuff. He's not going to come. And he, find, he came on a Friday night. And that guy, maybe for two to three years, he came almost every Friday to our small group, got so connected to the other men in our small group, came to the men's conference with us. And uh, there's a group of guys in our small group that about once a month, They'll play, just hang out and play poker. Actually, they don't, they don't play poker. They play, they play bridge, okay? Just, that's the edited version of that statement. They play bridge once a month. And, uh, and so Julio, he'd go and play bridge with them, poker bridge. And uh, it's like a hybrid deal. And, uh, and so Julio had to move. He had to go to Fort Benning. He got stationed somewhere else. Do you know that Julio will fly back to Texas sometimes to play poker with the guys. It's crazy. Julio is kind of crazy. But it's so cool to see how like just one little interaction, small talk, could lead to someone becoming part of the body of Christ, and they'll come back and visit regularly the families that he got to know when he was here. And this is the way in which the body of Christ should be. It should be a warm and affectionate place, and so often it's not. One guy says it like this, an affectionate Christianity is an effective Christianity. If we don't have this kind of atmosphere in the body of Christ, we might as well close up shop. We might as well just stop what we're trying to do here. For many people, their first impression is their only impression. Because as many of you know, you walk into this place, this is a frightening place if you don't know people. It's true at your school. You walk into certain settings, it's a frightening place if you don't have a connection already. And so we have the responsibility to make this place a place where this kind of attitude is carried out. And it needs to happen in the body of Christ. The body of Christ should not be known for its coldness. It should be known for its warmth and affection, and that should happen in the body of Christ. When my family goes overseas, we went overseas about a month ago, and we were actually in two different countries, the UAE, but also we came back through England for a couple days. And one thing I always notice whenever I travel like that is when you, you see another American family. Of course, we hear the accent. We're like, that's, that's, that's us. We, we, we're, we're that obnoxious. Yes, that's us. And, and we'll hear them on a subway or whatever. And, uh, and there's this instant feeling of like, you're kind of drawn to them because they're, they're like you and they're, they're American. And if you get close enough, you might just be like, hey, where are y'all from? Where are y'all from? You know? And, and you start talking and you connect because you are from the same country And at that moment, you're an alien living or staying in a foreign land. And so you feel this instant affinity because you're from a different place and you're there together in this other place. I want that to be an image for you for how Christians should treat each other because essentially as a Christian, you are an alien 
living in a foreign land. And just like when I'm overseas and I see someone who's from the U.S., and I feel somewhat drawn to them just because they're from the U.S., and I want to talk to them, you should see other Christians the same way here. Because you have that thing in common. You have Christ in common. And you should be drawn to each other because of your affinity for Christ. The last thing, we'll talk about our trip after this. In verse 22, Paul says that all the saints greet them, including those of Caesar's household. Again, don't be tempted to gloss over this. This is really important. Just those words, Caesar's household. This is amazing. Paul has been in under house arrest for a while, and he has been ministering to people that are a part of Caesar's household. So look at what God did. God had him in prison for a reason. He's able to reach people in the house of Caesar and influence the halls of power. This is what God did with his imprisonment there in Rome. And so now these these Christians, these new Christians from Caesar's house, are sending their greetings back to Philippi. What a miracle God did in the suffering of Paul, allowing him to minister to people that were in the halls of power. Don't ever let your circumstances deter you from the mission that God's called you to. You see, Paul had a plan. Paul's plan was to go and to, you know, preach to large crowds and see many come to know Christ. Instead, God had him preach to an audience of one, one at a time, one guard at a time, one person at a time, coming through, chained to Paul, thinking he's like any other prisoner, only to realize an hour or two in, get me unchained off this guy as he preached Christ to them for hours and hours and hours. So Paul had a plan, but God had a much bigger plan. And God accomplished his purposes through Paul's suffering there in prison. It's the same thing with you and I. So now I want to talk about the last statement I want you to think about as I talk about our trip. Paul had a plan, but God had a bigger plan. So I want to talk to you about just, I'm going to show you some pictures here of our trip. Uh, first of all, where did we go? Hope you guys know your geography. So um, what is that? Saudi Arabia. Just making sure you can read. Uh, so this is in the Middle East. So that's Saudi Arabia. Over to the sort of right-hand side, you'll see the UAE. It's a small country there on the Arabian Peninsula. That is the place we went. Now we're going to zoom in. Next slide. And you can see the UAE up close. And, of course, you fly into Dubai up there on the upper right. And then we go and visit a family in, a, in the town called Alain, which is kind of there to the right in the middle. And they're on the, right on the border between Oman and the UAE. And so this is where we visited. Much of the area looks just like this next picture, just sand everywhere, right? And that's my daughter there to the right and Brandon's kids on the left. But the kids loved it. They were like, this is like one big sandbox, the whole country. <laughs> So it's pretty amazing. Um, I would imagine that parents probably don't get their kids sandboxes over there in the UAE as a place to play. Um, just go out in the, in the 
don't even say yard. Go out there and play. It's, it's, the world is yours. So here's a picture of my wife, right? Next, she's a picture of Courtney wanting to take a camel home. And uh, my wife gives me a look like, can we get a camel? I'm like, no, we can't get a camel. So that was a really friendly camel. We were at a camel farm there in the UAE. Go to the next slide. And this, you can't really see this, but Courtney got to ride this camel. And you can't see, but in his right hand, do you see what he has in his right hand? It's a cell phone. The guy, the camel farmer guy, is walking around the desert, leading my wife through the desert, and he's doing this the entire time. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, this is, we can't escape this. It's everywhere. It was astounding. So I had to take a picture of it and show it to you. Uh, Next thing, I think, is a video of my son actually riding the camel. Do we have that? Ready to go? Here we go. It's always fun actually getting up. It's actually really interesting. He is holding on so tight. He's like, I'm going to die. Yes. So, uh, so that was fun. The kids got to do that at one of the camel farms. Uh, the most popular city in the UAE is probably the city of Dubai, which many of you may know about that city. You may know of it from some of these things. I'm going to show you some pictures here in a second. But the first photo is this is the guy who, I guess you say, founded the country like about 50 years ago. Uh, before, they were just kind of separate tribes or separate states that were disconnected. He's the one that brought them together and united them. Became, they became the UAE as a country. And he'd be considered like their George Washington. Pictures of him are everywhere throughout the country. He's a really important figure in their country. Uh, you may know Dubai especially from images like this next picture. They have lots and lots of things like this. These are man-made islands. And they're doing this all over their little coastal area. If I were to describe the culture of Dubai and the whole UAE thing, they have lots of oil money. It's like the po- they, their mindset is nothing is impossible. Like we will do whatever we want to do. We have so much money. And they're making islands for people to live on out in the Persian Gulf. And I'm sure they're super expensive, but this is what they're doing. Um, it's pretty, this is not a doctored photo. This is like real. This is actually what they're doing in this country because they're so wealthy. Um, we took this next picture in front of our hotel, another example. Just a Lamborghini just sitting there in front of the hotel, right? Just, just every day, what you see over there in that city. Um, it's pretty crazy. So um, needless to say, lots and lots of wealth, in, especially in Dubai. Next picture is the Dubai Mall. It's that big mound you see here in front of you, largest mall in the world. I've never been to a place where it really feels like they're more materialistic than we are. It's amazing. You, you look around, you go, this is crazy. Like, I don't, this is insanity. And, um, and so that's, that's one of their famous malls, the biggest mall in the world. And you'll see houses like this, next picture, just like, that's kind of a normal house in that part of the world. It's just kind of weird. And if you're one of the Emirati people, especially, you have lots of wealth. And these are some of the people that my friends have been going there trying to reach, and it's really hard because it's hard to reach rich people with the gospel. They don't feel like they need it, right? It's very difficult. Next picture is the tallest building in the world. This is the Burj Khalifa. 
And that is not smoke up there coming off of something. That's actually a cloud. I took a picture of this because this cloud was blowing through, and the building is so tall, it's cutting the cloud in half. It's, it's crazy. So imagine, like, that's your apartment. Like, my, my apartment cuts clouds in half, right? So it's just insane. Like, it's, it's like everything you see there, it feels like modern-day Tower of Babel where we're going to build this because we can. And there's just, it's obviously, it's a Muslim country. Um, so few churches even exist in this country. And so this is where my friends Brandon and Sarah Brewer come in. Go to my next picture. These are the brewers, Brandon, Sarah, little Wally there in his pajamas, and then uh, you've got um, Evelyn over there to the right, and then Miriam there in the middle, and then my family to the left. And they and some others from our church have gone over there to live in the UAE to try to begin building relationships. They actually live in the, in the city of Align, not in Dubai. They live two hours away from the city of Dubai. And we go and see them. And I want you to remember the statement that I said earlier where I said Paul had a plan, but God had a different plan. This really applies, I think, to the the brewers because they went over there three years ago. They learned Arabic, which is the most difficult language to learn in the world. And so they could converse with people that were in that country. And their goal was to reach the Emirati people, which is really only 20% of the entire country population. But the Emirati people are so hard to reach with the gospel because they stay to themselves. They're the ones that have all the money, and they stay to themselves. Everyone else is there to serve them. And so they went over there to, to think they could reach these people. And what they're seeing is it's so hard to break in relationally with those people because they're like down here, and the Emiratis are like up here. It's very difficult. So they're looking at other options. They're looking at maybe going over to Oman, the next-door country, because there's a lot more openness relationally, just getting to know people in that country. So they're looking at what's next for them. They went over there with a plan, but God might have a different plan. Friendship in the Middle East, especially among men, is a very different thing. If you are a friend to other men, that means... You hang out with them every night until 1 or 2 in the morning. And not to play video games. (laughs) That's what friendship looks like among men. And so you can see, again, Brandon trying to be this godly, faithful husband, and yet the rules of friendship are so different there. Expectations are different. So if you're going to break in and be a friend to some of these men, they have lots and lots of expectations on you as a friend. And in one sense, you go, man, that sounds kind of cool that like, they're that close. And you're like, but it's also kind of suffocating. And so you're trying to navigate all those things. How do I befriend people that have these great expectations of what friendship is that you're really kind of ignoring your families when you're living this way? So one of the guys he's gotten to know is this guy named um, um, Amr, I think is how you say his name. He's from Pakistan but lives in the UAE for work. And so Brandon's been reaching out to him, talking with him, and trying to share Christ with him. You can see when Amr, when Brandon begins talking about the gospel or something they're going to read together, Amr, he's interested, but he goes quiet. And here's why. Because in this culture where it's, it's all Muslim, 
if Amr were to reveal that he's considering Christ, Christianity, or if he were to even convert and become a Christian, he would most likely lose his job and maybe be sent back to Pakistan. He'd most likely be cut off relationally from all the people that he knows, except for Brandon. You can see that the pressure is great. The pressure is immense. And so Brandon's sharing Christ with some of these people, and yet they know and he knows if they really converted to Christianity, it could mean horrible things for them. And so this is the, the context in which he's trying to do ministry in. The next picture is a guy named uh, Yusef. And he is a guy that's actually from Oman, but lives over, he came across to see us for um, part of the day. And he just uh, wanted to hang out with us. So it was really good to see him again. And uh, next picture is Yusef and my son Landon. And he's about to show my son the proper greeting from men to men in uh, the Emirates. And so I want to show you how this, what this looks like um, in real life. So I need someone that has, like, no inhibitions. Ryan, you're the person. Come on stage, please. See, you got to clap. They know it's true, you know. So this is, so don't, just, just go, just follow me on this, okay? This is the proper Emirati greeting. This will be okay. Do you, do you trust me? Sure. Nothing to lose, right? Okay, so, so, don't just follow my lead, but, but you don't do anything, okay, except follow my lead. Like, don't, don't add anything. Like, don't do any Ryan shenanigans, like, as I do this. You promise? I think I'm more scared than he is about this. Okay, so here's a proper Emirati greeting, okay? They walk up, they shake hands, and they touch noses. Come on, man. What are you scared of? Just do it. Act like it's natural. Okay, you ready? Right, here we go. That's the Emirati greeting. And they kind of make a little clicking sound with their, anyway, I'm not going to do it again. Cause, but you get the idea? Give him a hand. This is, that wasn't as awkward as it could have been, but it was kind of awkward, right? So that was, that's the proper Emirati greeting. So my son, that's why Lena looks so scared in this photo. Because he's, like, he's like, what's this guy going to do to me? And so he's showing him like, how to do the proper greeting. That's how they greet. And the reason why we asked um, Yusuf, like, why, do we, why is this the greeting? He said, well, it's because if, um, it's really hard. It's their way of saying there is nothing between us. Like we don't have anything that's kind of bad between us. And that's, this, that's kind of what you're saying when you do that. And Ryan, would you admit that, like, if you and I had just been, like, in a fight and we had to do that, like, that would kind of bury the hatchet, right? Like, it would, problem solved, right? So you can see how even, like, just the physical contact, like, it seems weird to us, but that's how men shake hands over there in the UAE. And remember what I said, you know, I said this earlier an affectionate Christianity is a, an effective Christianity. So maybe y'all should do that greeting, like, among each other, the guys. Um, and listen, guys, listen, you can't use this as a pickup line with a girl. 
Like, this is meant to be guy to guy, you know, that greeting. You can't, as a guy, you can't be like, hey, you want to see how they greet people over in the UAE? You can't do that. That's not going to work. That'd be lame. Um, so you can't do that. Uh, so this is Yusef showing my son how to greet someone over there. And then he actually taught us an Arabic lesson for a little bit. And I forgot all the words he taught us, but they were good to know for those 15 minutes. Um, he taught us some Arabic, and then he, he came back. He left and came back and brought us these little, I don't even know what they call these. But look, we're representing over there in the Middle East. So looking like hardcore gangsters we are. Um, but yeah, so they, he brought those, those little hats for us. What do they call them? Do you remember what they call those, Courtney? I can't remember if they, I just call them hats. But yeah, they gave, they gave those to us. And uh, this might be surprising to you, but we actually met him. I met Yusuf three years earlier. And here's how I met Yusuf three years ago. Yusuf heard from Brandon that he had friends coming over from the U.S. And he said, I must meet your friends. And so three years ago, I went to the UAE on another trip. And my first time meeting Yusef was meeting him in his house for a meal. Just let that sink in for a minute. Like, I go over there to see Brandon. Brandon's friends with Yusef, been building a relationship with him for a couple years, and then he says, I must have your American friends into my house for a meal. So he invites us over to his house. Never met us before and has us into his house for a meal. This next photo is three years ago at Yusef's house for this meal, this lunch that he fixed for us. And I want that just image to kind of be, leave with that image because this is what kind of affection you see from some of the people over there that are like not even Christian and they don't even know who I am and yet they extend themselves in this way relationally that we often don't even see in the church. And it's just a powerful image, I think. So I want to go back real quick to Philippians 4, verse 14, where it says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Just as the Philippians are helping Paul carry his burdens, we've got to do the same for people like this living overseas, like the brewers living overseas. We've got to help carry their burdens for them. They need us more than you can imagine. There are so few Christians in this part of the world. So when you meet one, you see one in that context, and you see how much they need the sending church to be there for them. This is what I was reminded of on this trip, uh, visiting the brewers over there where they live. And I want to remind you again what's going to happen over here today in the Creekview building. This, this applies to this as well. We have an opportunity with these families over there in the Creekview building to not only share their trouble, but to help them lift it. And so as you give gifts... As you go serve today over there, that's your invitation, is to share their trouble and help them lift it as we do this meal with these families over there in the Creekside building. I'm going to pray, and we're going to be dismissed. We're out of time, so let's pray. God, we're grateful. We're thankful that we get to go leave.